0: So as Andrew said we've got our Bible reading now and if you look um, underneath the seat in front of you there will be a black Bible that you can grab if you'd like to follow along with me and today's reading can be found on page 1174, we're reading from a book called Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the, in the coming ages he might show his incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do.
1: Thanks, uh, Kath. And uh, hello, everyone. You're meant to be on holidays, people. Relaxed, refreshed. Very good. Now, keep your Bibles open, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 2. We've just prayed, so we'll get straight underway. Uh, When I was doing youth ministry, which I did for quite a while, something I worked out is that high school kids, especially junior high school kids, love it when you talk about sin. Us adults, we hate it when you talk about sin and judgment just makes us feel kind of uncomfortable. We start to wriggle. But junior highers seem to revel in someone telling them that they're sinful. And I was trying to work out, why is that the case? Could it be because everybody else in their world tells them that they're, they're brilliant? And deep down, they know that it's a bit ridiculous getting a medal for coming ninth. Is that the reason? It sort of confirms you know, some of the inner anguish that they know too well. Uh, a fellow youth leader once told my junior high schoolers they were like filthy cockroaches in God's house. And they loved it. They were like, yes, we're like filthy cockroaches. <laughs> if I said you're a bunch of filthy cockroaches in God's head, I reckon you would want my head on a platter, wouldn't you? Now, I reckon when it comes to um, uh, to uh, sin and judgment, churches almost always go too far one way or the other. They all either talk so triumphantly about Um, how the death of Jesus means sin and death and Satan are conquered, it almost suggests we can easily conquer sin ourselves. And if you were to listen carefully, you might come away with the impression that no one in that church ever struggled with sin, at least not personally, internally struggled. And then there are other churches, of course, that are always banging on about sin. And you could walk away from those places thinking that, that Jesus' death makes practically no difference To our ability to live as Christians. Which way do you reckon we go here? Or do you reckon we've just struck the perfect balance? I wonder if there is a better way of thinking about who we are as Christians now, this side of the life of Jesus, which we've just celebrated at Christmas time, and especially this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Probably the most famous Christian in the last thousand years is a fellow called Martin Luther. He kicked off a whole movement a society-wide, a worldwide movement really called the Reformation that ended in the Protestant Church breaking away from the Catholic Church and he had a great saying about the Christian and sin which I've got here up on the screen. Now I've checked with Ben who is our resident Latin scholar and I'm going to try and get the pronunciation right. Simul justus e peccator. Simul justus e peccator. Justified and sinner at the same time. Simul, at the same time. Justus, that means justified, made righteous, saved. And peccator, sinner. I'm, a, I'm saved, although I'm a sinner, at the same time. And amongst all the things, we are as Christians, made in the image of God, part of this wonderful, bigger family that we're expressing here today. Entrusted with a great message to share with the world, we are also simul justus e peccator, sinners, saved, by God's grace. So today I want to first go um, where junior high schoolers love to go, want to head to sin. And uh, I want to head there from Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible, and uh, we only very briefly touched on it in our recent series, Commitment Series, and it's so good I thought we've got to give it more attention than that. So um, uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, I better have this up there we're dead in our sins. In Ephesians chapter 2, we discover that our natural position before God, before his grace breaks into our life, is one of spiritual death. We were, we are naturally without God, dead in our sins. Now I'd love you to read this along with me from Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3. As for you, or us, dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, The Spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh or our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Ladies and gentlemen, that is our natural position before God without God. Though we were made in His image, loved and owned by Him in that sense, something went wrong which of course is sin, and it affects and it infects everyone. In verse 2, have a look at something which the Ephesians Christians used to live with. It's something that currently affects those who are disobedient. Under the influence of the world, under the influence of our own warped natures, under the influence of the devil himself. And if you're in any doubt that it affects every single human being, like one out of every one humans, verse 3 makes it clear that sin affects all of us, like the rest, until God breaks into our lives and does something dramatic. And it's always a little bit tricky trying to work out what sin is, how you define it, but those verses have got a handy little way of putting it. It's following the ways of this world rather than the ways of God. It's following the devil, the spirit who is at work and those who are disobedient towards God. And he's not some cartoon character, by the way. He is the personal force of evil and it's following the desires and thoughts of the sinful nature. Or, or to summarize, both in our actions and in our attitudes, instead of following God, listening to him, loving him, obeying him, we follow everything else but God. And the result is that we are dead, spiritually dead, as it were, in our sins. Now, uh, I don't know if you realise that human fingernails, human hair, are dead cells. Did you know that? This is apparently the, the reason that you can cut hair and fingernails without it like completely you know, maiming you. Human uh, fingernails and hair are dead. So um, it sounds very strange to me that we would spend so much money on shampoo and conditioners if our hair is in fact dead. There's a massive industry connected to washing dead hair. right? Shampoo commercials talk about five signs of healthy hair. My question is, how can hair possibly be healthy if it's dead? Right? Dead equals not healthy. The Pantene website has a section called combat hair issues. It does not mention the main hair issue is death. All you guys out there, I can see you with your lovely, smooth, shiny, non-breaking, non-fraying, frizz-defended, not split, ending hair, are living a complete deception because your hair is dead. Now, you look at my hair, you go, yeah, that's dead. You can see that. (laughs) Bald people, we're the only ones with honest hair. The rest of you have got dishonest, deceptive, and lying hair. Friends, it's dead. It is dead. It's got the look of life and vitality. And health, but in actual fact, it's dead. It's exactly the same as human beings without God, isn't it? We might have all the look of life, probably your hairdresser. uh, (laughs) He's saying, please come back. It's not too late. We might have all the look of life and vitality and health, but in verse 1, our natural state before God spiritually dead in our sins until God breaks into our lives spiritually dead in our sins and the physical death to which we're all heading unavoidably will will confirm that in fact it will also usher in eternal destruction because as verse 3 says we are by nature deserving objects of God's wrath that is his righteous and just anger at our rebellious hearts so in short though we're made in his image and loved by him in that sense We sin by our natures and are therefore objects of the righteous anger of God and destined for his judgment. But of course the good news about being Christian, like the great news that we have to offer, is that we have, as we've already sung, been saved by God's grace in Christ Jesus. We're now saved by grace. Have a look at this in verse 4. Great verses, amongst my favorite. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. Even though we were dead in our transgressions, it is by grace that you, if you're a Christian, have been saved. When we were dead in our transgressions and sins, God made us alive with Christ. It's just another way of saying that He saved us from the righteous judgment our sins deserve. Because Jesus took the penalty our sins deserve upon Himself on the cross, we who trust in Him are no longer spiritually dead, but spiritually alive. We have been saved in Christ Jesus because of His great grace. His amazing grace that we sang about at the start of our service. Now I want you to kind of cast your mind back to those feudal societies, right? Uh, Genuine kings and kingdoms. And I want you to imagine that the king discovered somebody was robbing his treasury. The king's advisors, they noticed that, that money was being taken from the treasury, and so they tell the king, the, the king says, I want you to set up a trap. I want you to capture that thief. Of course, uh, when that thief is discovered, the thief would be executed, because you can't steal from the king's treasury. That's treason. It's punishable by death. And so the next evening, the advisors set the trap hooded figure appears at the entrance of the treasury opens the door starts putting some money into the folds of their cloak the trap is sprung the advisors arrest the thief and take him directly to the king who's waiting and then dramatically standing before the king the advisors rip off the hood and to everyone's horror it is the king's younger brother he is the thief and the king's heart is crushed his baby brother, not yet a man, is guilty and he must go the next morning because not even the king can change the law of the land overnight. Of course, the king could not sleep at all during that night. The sun dawns on what would, a day like today, really, what would otherwise be a glorious morning, but the king's whole world is dark. The crowds had gathered for the spectacle as they did in those days. The king stepped up very purposely and deliberately to do his duty. And at the moment when everyone expected him to call the prisoner, his little brother, to the block, he instead walked himself, lay his own head down, and there, head on the block, looking sideways at his little brother, he says, the price must be paid, before calling the executioners to do their hasty duty. Ladies and gentlemen, Christ is our King. He is the one who steps in and pays the price for the sin of us, his little brothers and sisters, with his own life, thus sparing ours. It is by his great grace we are saved. It says it there in verse 5, just so that we get it. It says it again in verse 8. Read along with me. Verse 8, it is by grace you have been saved. Grace, of course, is the goodness or the kindness of God to undeserving people. Christ's death on the cross in our place, the king for the thieves, to save us from our sins and the penalties that attach to it is God's goodness to undeserving people like us. We can contribute nothing to our salvation. Christians are not good people who contribute their goodness to their salvation. We are undeserving people who simply put our hands up and say, I need a saviour. That grace is a gift. You receive it with thankfulness and faith. But if you try to contribute your own self-righteousness, your own moral performance, your own goodness, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. I mean, most of us would have received gifts in the last few days. Raise your hands if it's already in the bin. Yeah, a few liars out there. Excellent. Excellent. Most of us would have received gifts in the last few days. And intrinsically, we know that presents aren't about earning. They're, they're about receiving, not about deserving. They're about receiving with gratefulness. Imagine if you got a big present at Christmas. I bet you the conversation did not go like this. So uh, how much do I owe you for it? For what? Well, f- not a 100. No. I'll just tell the story. How about that? How much do I owe you for it? For what well you know, can you stop interrupting my story, or <laughs> well, unless you want to come up here and tell the story? do you want to do that? Oh, I'll just continue that. okay, no worries. How much do I owe you for it? for what? Well, for the present, you know it's big, how much do I owe you for it? Well, nothing it's a present, yeah, I know, but gee, it looks expensive. Well, you'll never know how much it cost me. I've got a great idea. How about we split it? i'll pay half like, what? you know I'd like to kind of chip in a bit and isn't it true that there's a point where that sort of conversation starts to become insulting is that right it's present you accept it with thanksgiving christians are not sinners saved. uh, sorry are sinners saved by god's grace in christ jesus that means we receive that gift with thanksgiving and grateful hearts not trying to somehow chip in with our half-baked moral performance Now, friends, what does this mean for us? The news that we're sinners saved by God's grace in Christ Jesus. A number of thoughts that that really depend on the kind of person you are. If you're not yet a Christian person, I really do hope you feel welcome here. But actually, for you, it means you accept the gift with faith. If you don't yet trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection for you to save you from your sins, there's but one thing you need to do, and you need to do it urgently. That is, turn to Him, admit you're a sinner, and accept with faith the gift of salvation that comes in Christ Jesus. If what we've heard is true, then at present you're spiritually dead because of your sin and an object of God's wrath and righteous judgment. Now for some people here, that would be completely obvious. your actions. You would identify it within yourself. You would say, you're absolutely right. That's exactly who I am. Uh, There'll be others here who might be very moral people, very polite people, very good people in that sense, and you still resist God's call on your life, but just in less obvious ways. I mean, if you could somehow electronically track the thoughts in your head, like in one of those science fiction movies, it might be obvious then. The truth is, some people reject God with hostility, Some people reject him with politeness, but the effect is the same, isn't it? Dead in sins, object of God's wrath, but there is an offer of his great salvation on the table. And I'm just suggesting to you today, take it. Please, humbly and respectfully, take it. Accept the gift with faith. And if you'd like to do that today, there'll be people after the service who'd love to talk with you. Now, if you are a Christian person, uh, one thing that all this stuff means is that you are not better than anyone else. So don't think you're better. You know, they uh, released results uh, from a survey of students recently. 96% of students thought they were in the top 50%. (laughs) It's all those medals for coming ninth, isn't it, right? 20% of kids thought they were in the top 1% of students always think we're better when we're not. Remember what grace means. God's goodness to undeserving people. Christians saved by God's grace are just as undeserving as any other person. Undeserving means you are not better than anyone else. We're just simply not. Ephesians 2 again says salvation is not from ourselves. We contribute nothing to it. It's the gift of God, not by our goodness. So we cannot boast we cannot boast that we deserve it we cannot boast that we are better than anyone else and I think one of the ways you can tell someone is a Christian is that they don't think they're better than anyone else let me apologize to you right now on behalf of Christians if Christians have acted as though they're better than you they're not we're not probably worse fairly sure that I am and certainly Christians you, you cannot boast or think that you're better than other Christians either. What a weird thing to do if you've been saved by grace. Thirdly, and uh, this might be where the rubber hits the road for 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 you today, there is work to get on with. So get on with the work. And I think this is well worthy of our thoughts as we head towards a new year. We've made it somehow by the mercy of God through the Armageddon that is known as Christmas. We've got a couple of days to consider what the new year will hold. I hope it holds for you verse 10. Let's read along together. For we are... God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are created by Jesus, in Jesus, to do good works. This passage has got a very intriguing little spin on the idea of work, if you didn't notice it when Kath read it out. Have a look at verse 2. In verse 2, we discover the devil is at work in us in our former disobedience to God. Before his wonderful grace broke forth into our lives. In verse 9, we are specifically told our salvation is not the result of our own works. That is by our own merit. Then in verse 10, we are told that we are God's handy work. His workmanship. And then also in verse 10, we are told that he created us with good works to do in response to all that he has done for us. In fact, they were, get this. I mean, get your head around this. They were prepared for us before the beginning of time. There's a to-do list. There's work to be done. And I don't think he means, look, Sally's got to be a doctor. Uh, Jim has got to set up a not-for-profit organization. Diane's got to be a minister. Uh, Richard's got to serve on the local PNC committee. I, I don't think it's saying there are... Highly specific jobs that somehow we've got to work out what we're meant to do and then complete them. I think it's talking about our general work as believing people. And I would write these four things down because I'm going to come back to them in a minute. Loving God, caring for other people, pursuing personal godliness and holding up the message of Christ to a world that desperately needs to hear it. Four things. Loving God, caring for others, pursuing godliness, sharing the message of Christ. I want to thank none of you for writing that down. (laughs) And you know what I think? I said write it down because I reckon today at lunchtime what you want to do is you want to drill down and work out over lunch today which of those priorities you want to address in 2019. What will it be? Loving God, caring for others, pursuing godliness, sharing the message. But having been saved by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, not by our works. No, no. There's lots of good work to get on with. So get on with it. They are the perfect response to all that God has already done for us. Now lastly, and uh, I think perhaps most importantly, uh, an excellent opportunity this time of year to reflect on these things. We are not defined by our sin. If you trust in the salvation of, that Jesus offers us on account of his life and death and resurrection. Some of us have done awful things in our lives. Some of us have had awful things done to us. We've all sinned and we've all been sinned against. Uh, Some have sinned more, others have been sinned against more. Still others of us might be caught in sin that we just cannot seem to get out of. And if you are in any of those categories, you might just think, I'm defined by this. The sins I do, the ones done against me. You might think of yourself as a woman who deserves to get treated badly because that's the way it's always been. You might think of yourself as the lustful man who just cannot see your way through his lust or his alcoholism or gambling addiction or his rage. You might see yourself as worthless because of how people have spoken to you or treated you in your past. You might think of yourself as unrepairable, even though the word is actually irreparable, unrepairable, unloved, unworthy of anything good because of what you have done, what you cannot stop doing or what others have done unto you. But the extraordinary news, why it's called amazing grace, is for the person who trusts in Jesus. You are not defined by what you have done. And you're not defined by what others have done to you. You are defined by what Jesus has done for you. Not what you've done, not what others have done to you, what Jesus has done for you. A sinner may be, although it's remarkable how little the New Testament calls Christians sinners. A sinner may be, but a sinner saved by his great grace. That is the promise for all those who trust in Jesus. Simul justus et peccator. For instance, we finish, do you love it when people tell you that you're a sinner or do you hate it? Do you relish the thought of being a cockroach in God's household? Or rather, do you consider to have made it personally unaffected and without struggle with sin? The truth for Christians is that we were dead in our sins until the grace of God in Christ Jesus burst Into our undeserving lives and planted that gift of salvation on the table and nudged it towards us saying take it so that we might be made spiritually alive when we were spiritually dead so that we might be saved from being under the righteous judgment of God so that there are no grounds for boasting only for rejoicing even when we're white and struggle with that unlike our African brothers and sisters So that we're motivated to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do of loving him, of caring for others, of pursuing godliness and of sharing his news so that we might be defined not by what we have done, not by what others have done to us, but by what Jesus has done for us. Simul justus et peccator, sinners, saved by his great and wonderful grace. Let's pray to him now. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day, this in-between day between Christmas and the start of a new year where we can just uh, quite freely reflect on some of the great things you have done for us. When we were spiritually dead in our transgressions and sins, that we may have looked full of life, you invaded our hearts, you invaded our spirits by your own spirit, you made us alive in christ by your great grace through his extraordinary life death and resurrection and it's accessed by our faith forgive us for boasting thinking that we're better than others pray you might put it on the hearts of friends here today who don't yet know you to accept that gift with salvation recognize there's lots of good work to get on with in 2019 help us to give our whole hearts to that Help us to remember always we are defined not by what we have done, nor what others have done to us, but by what you have done for us in the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, we. Uh, I'm just.